We all want more freedom, and a lot of us work hard now in the hope we'll feel free later. What if there was another way? A way to feel happier, more free, and confident to get better results right now. Welcome to Your Freedom Unlimited, where we share practical stories and strategies to help you show up authentically, drop your fears, and take inspired action on what matters most to you. I'm your host, Jen Ramsey. As a coach with a love for metaphysics, science, spirituality, and strategies that get results, I'll help you step away from self-doubt and create a powerful new story for your life, business, or career. Join me. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Your Freedom Unlimited with me, Jen Ramsey. And this week, I am so excited to be introducing you to a very old and dear friend of mine, Emily Fong. And Emily's story is one that is certainly very inspirational and one that I really wanted to bring to you on the podcast. So Emily is an artist and Emily and I met about eight years ago when she and um, a very another very dear friend, Joe Underhill, were teaching art in Brisbane in Australia. And I was starting out on my journey in art and uh, Em was, was definitely part of that. But Em has since moved on and she's doing some very interesting things. She's an artist exploring life and death embodiment and emotion and the experience of being inside this human container. She looks at the life cycles of living things, growth, mortality and change from the micro to the macro. Through drawing, painting, sculpture and writing, M seeks to highlight our similarities not only to one another but also to the other species that occupy our planet. Her view is that by going deep inside life, turning it inside out, that we might discover new ways of observing and reconfiguring our outside. So Emily studied fine art at the Queensland College of Art at Griffith University in Brisbane, and also at the Duncan of Jordanston College of Art and Design in Dundee in Scotland. She's got a Bachelor of Design in Architecture from the Queensland University of Technology and also NSAG at Grenoble in France. And Emily is now studying something very interesting. She's doing her Master's of Science in Medical Art at the University of Dundee's Centre for Anatomy and Human Identification in Scotland, and is also the artist in residence at the Wellcome Centre for Anti-Infectives Research in Dundee. So Emily, we are, I'm just so pleased to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us from Scotland. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks very much, Jen, for inviting me. Oh, it's just great to have you here. And, and uh, I just wanted to, yes, to share a little bit of uh, you with uh, everybody else because um, you've, you've been such an inspiration to me as an artist, but also as a person in terms of your own journey to freedom and, and your own inspiration for life. And um, that inspiration has taken you to faraway places like Scotland and Paris. And so I think there's a lot of adventures um, that I'd love to hear about, for, you know, particularly adventures over the last few years since you've been overseas. So when there's a lot that you've done in your life, but I'd love, love it if we could perhaps rewind and if you could share some of your backstory with us and, and perhaps how you came to really become an artist and to, to really find this inspiration within yourself. Of course. Um, I guess one thing to note is that I, I've always been an artist and, you know, I, I chose to go in the direction of architecture um, because 
it was one of those things where you choose, you know, the sensible path, right? You know, I didn't know any anyone who was making a living as an artist when I was young. Um, and I thought, well, architecture is a very clear cut and dry path. Um, it's a creative direction, but it's also, you know, it's very scientific. It's also, um, it's got a lot going on. I was also really interested in physics as a young person. Um, and I thought, well, that's the direction I'll take. And I absolutely loved it um, and still love it. I love thinking like an architect, but I reached a point where I knew I didn't want to be one. You know, I knew that I didn't think that I could spend my whole lifetime being an architect where actually I really wanted to be an artist. And I didn't know that in so many words, um, but I did my final year over in France, as you mentioned before, and I... During that year, there was a, a small art shop that I used to go to to get my drawing supplies for, for school. And across the road from that, there was a painting studio. And it had a little sign in the window saying, um, oil painting classes on a Wednesday night. And I thought, well, you know, I could do oil painting classes on a Wednesday night, so I'm going to go do that. And I started painting and I met this wonderful woman who ran the studio and she and I became really good pals and so it was a Wednesday night, but then, you know, she said, I opened the studios for myself on a Saturday. Do you want to come and paint with me on a Saturday? So there I was just, you know, spending all of my brain space painting, even if I wasn't in the studio. And, uh, yeah, I sort of switched modes at that point, I think. You know, you really realise that there's only so much space in your brain to do so many things. And studying in France, in French, architecture I was like okay already my brain had to be switched on about 150% all of the time and it just I just realized that I didn't have that energy to spend in that direction anymore because you know I discovered this new passion for painting and uh yeah that was a bit of a switch for me and I I really at that point decided okay look I'm gonna keep painting but I think I need to go home to Australia and you know wrap this architecture up and you know sign on the dotted line but then move forward um and yeah so that was a bit of a switching point for me um moving back to Brisbane and making that decision that actually there's only so many years that you have in your life and how do you spend them and is it intentionally or um or not so yeah Wow, I love that. I think there's there's a lot to really just even unpack there. So did you you started these oil painting classes and obviously architecture does have a very artistic bent to it. As a little girl, had you drawn or painted? Had you been drawn to art as a child? Always, always, mm -hmm. always. Um, I was always drawing, but I was always making things. I, um, I My parents gave me a, a, a large sticky tape dispenser for my I think it was Christmas when I was about four years old. It was massive and I still have it actually. Um, and a, a, a huge stack of different coloured reams of paper. And I just thought my Santa Claus is a, is a genius here. So after that, I just kept making things. So I would make, um, I would make my playground, you know, that I was in during the day. I'd come home and I'd construct these scenes out of paper and, um, and sticky tape. And so I guess yeah, exploring space and exploring um, models from a really young age has always been something that I've done. So that's art, but it's also architecture. It's spatial awareness and, um, yeah. 
I can see how the two and how, yes, that's right, you're right, because it, it is art and it is, it, is, it is spatial awareness as well and how, and I understand what you're saying, taking the sensible path. I think you're certainly not alone there, but really it was incredible that you were able to, well, perhaps it was divine, divinely led that that, 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 that those oil painting classes have to be across the road from the, store, the shop where you got your supplies for, 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 for universities. So it's just, in, you know, it was obviously meant to be. Okay, so how did it feel, Em? You'd done, the, you know, the four or five years of architecture how did it feel? You, but you also had this great love, and you know there was only so much space in your brain. How did it feel to actually though let that arch, all of that time go with the architecture? It was a really interesting time, actually, and I think um, I'm not sure if you know the sensation of having your body so full that actually you just can't move almost, you can't make decisions, you can't think. Um, it was like somehow just letting a bit of that pressure out. It's just right. opening a tap wherever that tap might be and just letting a bit of flow out. So I had space in my life. That's how it felt. It felt like mm -hmm. instead of being packed so tightly, there was room to jiggle and room to, to actually just be and to breathe and to have a bit of fun. Um, yeah not like what I was doing wasn't fun. It was just like, just too tightly packed. Yeah. Um, too much on. Sense. Oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, and as you said, you were studying, you were studying architecture, which is a complex degree in itself, studying in another country, in another language. And then suddenly you have this love affair with the, you know, this rediscovery of, of how much you actually love art. Um, it could have, I mean, I love how you've said you almost like your body felt too full. I, talk often in the podcast about my experience of anxiety and feeling overwhelmed so it sounds to me like that was a feeling of overwhelm and something you you were able to you were, you were prescient enough to be able to make a decision to say okay I need to let architecture go so I can actually open up to this new opportunity and is that did, did is that how it felt did it feel like it was like a very graceful letting go so that you could open to the new opportunity yeah absolutely and I also um there's a certain awareness that it, it wasn't letting something go as such because I don't think we can we can let things like that go do you know what I mean it's no. not like you do something for a certain period of time and all of a sudden if you go a different direction then it's deleted that no. that's just not not how things work they just shift in a different way um so yeah it was just a bit of a shift Absolutely. And I can see in your art, I know when we met, I can see in your art, there's so much love of architectural form and, and your perspective is just superb. So you're right, there's no, there's no letting go, but it was more of a allowing in of the new, which is obviously yeah. what happened with the art. So what happened then? So what happened then? Well, we met, we were, uh, yeah, we met in terms of how to bring this love of art to the public really that was mm -hmm. the the period of time in which we met and I think what I'd realized at that point was so much within architectural training and thinking and this spatial awareness and and drawing um, could actually be applied to every day it could be applied to people who wanted to learn how to draw and how to see things differently um, so that was really that point of transition was like how can I use what I've learned here um, in order to, I guess, springboard into that next phase of my life, but also how to how to give it back to a community. I'm, I'm really, you know me, I love a 
I'm very passionate for people and for sharing skills. You know, I, I really believe that, you know, if you have, you have something to give, then it's really important to find ways to do that, to give it back. So, um, yeah, that's what happened next in that, in that little point of time, I guess. So you came back and you studied art and then, and then yes, you came and really you did come into the community here. And I, for one, at that time, was just so grateful to meet you and Joe Underhill, who you, you know, you, you created this incredible um, business called Urban Art Binge. And it really was. We were able to go out and every, we went out twice a week to really enjoy the city and enjoy and, and create and draw with you on the Saturday and then to paint with, with Joe on, on an evening during the week. It was just one of those really special times of my life. And I have to thank both of you for, for, the gifts that you did give because you really were able to translate your skills into something that really did make a lot of difference to a lot of people I know and I've made some very good friends in that time as well who were also brought into your community so how did that feel to really be in that process of being able to to pass the love of art onto other people how did that how did that how did that work for you in terms of working with you, yourself and Joe? Oh that is um honestly one of the most rich times in my life you know and I think that it lasted on the ground for only two or three years but that's you know it still looms very very large in my life and I think both Joe and I at the time were really at a point where we needed each other we needed community within art because you know being an artist is sometimes a bit of a solitary existence um, and I think you need to have that time alone to be able to think and concentrate on what you're doing and focus on creativity but there's also you need connection you know and I think finding connection within an arts community is not the easiest but when you do find it it's actually one of life's most pleasurable things um, and yeah it was extraordinary really finding and building that community that we that we did um, and you know, still watching it thrive from from Scotland. You know, seeing all the people that we've we've met and we've worked with doing their best, and and still loving drawing and painting is is awesome. It's really awesome. Absolutely, and I think what I'd say that both of you did was that you instilled. You were very giving teachers, and you instilled the. There was an art to the way you taught, but you instilled confidence in those of us who were very much learner drivers that we could have a go, and and that there there is beauty in 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 learning, and uh, certainly and beauty in new beginnings, and that was certainly what what I got from that experience. So, and you're exactly right. There's also the importance of community and. Um, how important that is to be able to be in a face-to-face -face. and obviously we've just been through well and many are still going through COVID and through lockdowns we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment but the importance of community and connection around art because you're right it can be quite a solitary quite a solitary pursuit so that was what I found incredibly joyful about our experience was that you did create such a, a bubbling and exciting community of people that you wanted to actually be be with um, which which was certainly part of that so so such a beautiful time and a very rich time in my life as well. So from there, um, you know, I, I think we probably want, I probably would just want to honour Joe, our dear friend Joe, who unfortunately became, was ill during that time and, and uh, unfortunately did pass away from cancer, which was such a, a difficult time. How was that for you to, to, um, to lose someone in that way so young in their life who was such a, a strong companion for you in that space? 
I can say in all honesty, it was awful. <laughs> it was awful. It was one of the most awful experiences of my life. Um, but it was also one of the most beautiful because Joe, uh, Joe left the world in such an inspiring way, just kind of unusual to say, but to watch her so gracefully go into the next experience, you know, to, to recognise that she was dying and to be actually extremely generous in that experience um, was a, yeah, I think an extremely large honour for me. And at the time I found it extremely difficult and coming out of that phase of grief took much longer than I had ever or could ever anticipate. Um, but I think it's, it's one of these things where you, you proportionally, grief is proportional to how much you love a person and how much they've transformed your life. So yeah, in, in that respect, I'm really, I recognize that that's part of the process, you know? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, it really is. And, and you're exactly right. And I think you had such an incredible, you know, create, it was a creative journey that worked, that worked very well together. You were very complimentary to each other, but, um, and you're right. She, unfortunately, it was her time and, and, um, that I agree with you that grief is very proportionate to the, to the love that we can hold for another person. So, so Vale Joe, but her work still lives on. We'll definitely put a link to her work in, in the blog to this, that goes with this podcast as well, because her work was very inspiring and she was doing something interesting. That's interestingly um, has some connections with, with, with what you're doing now, but in terms of looking at the science, how look, looking at, looking at science and art, but let's, before we, I'd love to hear just then what happened after, after Joe's passing, I think from there, was it about that time that you left Australia? When, when, what happened from there? Yeah. So uh, my partner and I both moved to Scotland um, around then. And um, I guess that time is, it's strange to have a period of time that is, I guess, circled in, in this life and death and, and grief grieving moment um we left Australia just at the point in time when Joe was passing away so she hadn't she hadn't actually died at that stage um but uh we we left to Scotland for um another death actually so another death in the family you, you make choices in life based upon big things um so someone had passed away in, in my my partner's life and so we moved to Scotland to be here for that and so it was a really, yeah, it was an unusual time to be moving for, for a death, but also mm. leaving with a, a dear friend at that point as well. So um, strange, strange new beginnings, <laughs> but, um, but also wonderful. You know, these, these big things make you move and they make you make decisions and shift. Um, so, yeah, here we are resettling in Scotland and trying to make a new community and and also how to finding out how to redefine yourself in a new situation mm. and actually because I think when you have your community your community also reflects the energy that you put out and that you build mm. um, but when you don't have that external community how do you find yourself and how do you define yourself without that reflection of the people around you is a really interesting challenge um, 
So that next period of our lives was really about that. It was like, okay, we're here and what do we do? You know, how do we rebuild? Um, but you do. It's, it's just something that, that happens. That's um, right. That's, and perhaps if I can clarify, do you remember speaking to you at the time and, and um, I think your, your decision was you, you moved so that you could then be in connection with your partner's family, didn't you? You really, yes. it was a real realisation. Someone had passed in Scotland and there is a big different, big distance between Scotland and Australia. And I think, I, you know, it was, a, it was a wonderful thing that you did to be able to, to go and really, um, you know, support her in that, in that moment and, and to be, to connect in with someone else's family because I know that you're very close to your own family here in Australia. So that would have been quite a big decision, um, but very honouring of your partner's family as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a big decision. And sometimes I look back and think, how did I make that decision so quickly? <laughs> but I, I'm really glad I did. You know, these things you just, you do and you follow through and it's all good. Um, yeah. So Scotland, I mean, Scotland is an extraordinary, extraordinary country. It's so beautiful. It's mm. just, it's just so green, Jen. <laughs> Green. green so much green so much green more green than you could ever imagine yes because I've, I've been to the UK but I haven't been to Scotland yet so I hope one day to to come and visit you there and or if you're not already back here but but yes it is green and I just and reflecting on that comment you made earlier about you were effectively starting again here you were in a foreign country with your partner with the family but no none of that community that you had you you know you'd really self-generated in in Australia so where did you begin? How did you, um, what happened when you, when you started there? Obviously you saw that it was very green and very beautiful. And I remember seeing lots of beautiful photos that you took, but how did you establish a new community and a new life for yourself there? Yeah. So um, we were living in a very small country town. So it was extremely green and lots of cows and um, yeah, beautiful pastures and things. But um, we, we were, really shifting the demographic within this small village that we were living in. And I remember thinking, look, if I need community, I need to figure it out, I need to bring it here. Um, and they had a little town hall, actually. And I, I thought, well, I've got options here because life drawing is something that I need in my life. You know, I've, I've life drawing is a key component to my my practice and you know going from doing that every week in Brisbane to absolutely nothing and being in a country town um, I could either drive to the city uh, of, of Dundee you know um, every week and do that but that was quite a distance and also um, yeah quite resource heavy when you think mm. um, so I put a little call out on Twitter actually it was a bit of a wild decision but I thought let's give this a go, you know, and just to see whether there were any life models around the area and if they would be interested. Um, and, yeah, I asked if I could hire the little village hall for a, for a life drawing class. And all of a sudden there were one life model and then two life models and then all of a sudden they knew each other. It was actually quite a large community and they started coming to me. So we had this beautiful thing going on in this small country town village hall of a life drawing session um and it was just a, a quite a wonderful experience because not only do you have the life models coming but then you have the artists coming so from nothing every tuesday night started to come this extraordinary community of people who love to draw and were just really grateful that there was something there in the in the country um 
to do. So I guess that was the the beginning. Wow. And Em, here you are again, building community around art. So how incredible. And yes, instead of people having to drive to the city, which is typically where you would find these things, to have it happen in your own country town. I mean, I come from a country town here in Australia and I know you do too. and, And it's lovely to actually have something happening locally rather than having to go to the big city. So people would have just loved that. So did you do, you know, tea and coffee and, and you know, supper as well as so it became, did it become a real community event? Absolutely. So every Tuesday night it was a couple of hours with, a, you know, breaks in between with tea and coffee. And so it's always, as you know, you know, these groups are much more than just the drawing. Mm. They're getting together supporting each other and learning about what's happening in each other's lives and um that i think becomes more important than the drawing the drawing is or the the art whatever it is is the the reason to gather um but yeah the community and the support and and just the chat you know just the the silly chat is actually sometimes what is most important in people's people's experience of these these moments yeah absolutely I, I I completely agree and and the yes you're right the art the art's the drawing point but it's it's everything that happens in between uh, and around that that is just such a joy so that's 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 really wonderful and did you introduce chai to or was chai already a thing in your local country town was that part of the the Tuesday night event the chai tea chai tea chai, to, well to be fair I'm much more of a builder's tea kind of gal you know oh. so it was a bit a bit like <laughs> a bit like rough and ready you know if you want your chai you're gonna have to bring that yourself oh, okay <laughs> i'm sorry but maybe it was joe who brought the chai maybe joe. i know i'm a big yeah. chai drinker but chai, yeah. <laughs> no, but go the builder's tea i'm sure that would have gone yeah. very well as well yeah. well that's that's such a great thing and so and then what happened then so you you so that's so here you are you are starting to you're you're the, the Aussie girl landing in in the country town in Scotland, you have you you've said right. I'm going to build community, and and lo and behold, build it, and they will come. Everyone came. So so what happened from there? So from there, I started. Um, I was at the university in Dundee, so I was studying art at the time there, and um, yeah. So those two things were happening side by side, starting to to meet people and. Um, yeah, just do do my thing, starting to feel like I've got my feet on the ground at this point. Um, and from there, I I actually, I had this most special job. I, um, I started working with um, an artist as his assistant, as his art assistant, but also life assistant, um, Dawson Murray. He's a printmaker. And Dawson, Dawson and his wife, Liz, I think were probably... My, how would you say, you know, when you meet people and you're at, you're looking for community, you're looking for family, you know, I was working for them, but I think at the same time they were really introducing me to Scotland, you know, so I worked with them four days a week. And the reason why Dawson needed an assistant is actually he has MS, quite advanced MS. Oh, wow. And yeah, he's an incredible printmaker. Um, but essentially needed somebody to help him make his prints. So it was an extraordinary experience of, of almost being his hands. And, and I, I can't, yeah, it's one of these experiences that I'm going to have to take my lifetime to digest, I think. Um, but I worked with Dawson and Liz for a year. And we, yeah, we spent time between his studio and his garden and the, the print workshop in Dundee. 
And that time was incredible because it was like four days a week of really, really intense observation and focus because Dawson's work is very much about looking at nature and looking at how do things grow and what's the, what's, what, what is nature doing, you know, but in, in such an intense, slow way um, that it's, it's almost painful to be honest, Jen, but, but extraordinary. And I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who is, who was and is such a keen observer in on the same level as me. I, I love observation. That's just, it's one of my superpowers being an observer, but, but working with Dawson was like, wow, okay, so this guy, he knows how to see, you know, and um, yeah, so that was that next period of, of, my, of my journey, I guess, is just learning, learning how to be still and learning how to look and be really appreciative of, of nature in a, in a super slow way with Dawson. Wow. I mean, and, and fancy being someone's hands. I mean, it's such a privilege to have that role. But and you do, you're right. You're right in the position of learning. But it, how did it feel to? How did it feel to be? Uh, I guess executing his art. Did you feel? Did you feel like you were you were on his wavelength and so could understand what he wanted? Did that take a period of time, or did you just sort of click in and really knew what he wanted? It took a period of time of adjustment uh, because, as an artist, you have your own marks. You know, your hands do what they do, right? And yeah. You, I guess I had to become really conscious of are my hands making marks for me or they, are they making marks for Dawson? And that was the shift of, okay, I'm in his studio now. I'm making marks for him. So I'm not allowing my hand to wander in a way that it would. Um, and he, Dawson is very good at communicating. So he would, he would pick me up. He'd say, no, like that line's doing something funny over there. And, and I could see by doing something funny meant, you know, you're, you're making an Emily mark there. It's not mine. Um, and so, yeah, I think it is about being really humble and, and recognizing that actually, yeah, I'm working for another artist here as I have to focus my hands a bit more. Um, but that was a beautiful thing. You know, it was really, really quite extraordinary. And you've used a great word, the humble humility. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, the ego does have to step aside, doesn't it? Because even if you think that it might look better if the line was a little wibbly wobbly over there, but he wanted it a certain way, it needed to be his way. So that would have been a really, just a really interesting study in in how to leave the ego at the door, which I'm, I know you would have done that very, very, very well. What, what else did you learn from that time with him? How did it inform perhaps your own art practice? It informed my own art practice in so many different ways, but specifically about returning to nature. I'm, I am very and always have been really enthusiastic in nature. I love, I love the landscape so much and, and just being really open in it and to it that at that point was really it was what I needed, but it was also it was Dawson's way. Um, and I, I had this one really clear moment of us being at his pond. You know, he really loved to sit at his pond every single day. So I would bring him to his pond and we'd just sort of sit there. And, you know, it was, that time also was about really becoming very comfortable with silence. You know, we would chat and, and 
and all of that. But actually, a lot of the time we needed to just sit and observe and and I'd wait, you know, I'd wait for him to to kind of bring up what he needed to bring up. But he had this plant and it was an oleander, which is, I, I think he brought it back from France. He had this really like beautiful connection with France and, and Italy. And he had this oleander that had never flowered, never, ever, because it was like more of a, a hot it's a climate hot plant, right? So anyway, he would have me bring this oleander from the um, the greenhouse to the pond almost daily for, for this one period of summer. And it was quite heavy. It was like this large, large pot, right? Anyway, so we're sitting at the pond watching the oleander and he's, he's just saying to me, do you think it's grown a bit? <laughs> <laughs> Trying not to laugh, but like, ah, maybe, but I'm not quite sure. I wasn't totally convinced, right? Anyway, so this was this conversation, this dialogue at the pond for, the, for this one summer of like, questioning whether or not this oleander had grown a little bit and whether or not, you know, it was going to flower. Anyway, one day I arrived and lo and behold, the oleander was beginning to flower. And I just thought, mate, you are extraordinary. Look at you. Just like, you know, that real sheer determination, positivity, and just belief that this plant was going to flower, you know, and the patience required to observe it in such a, a painfully beautiful way. And I have this one, I, I drew him because I said, you know, Dawson, look, this is a, I feel like this is a momentous moment <laughs> that needs to be captured of you and your oleander. So I have, I've made this beautiful portrait of Dawson and his oleander flowered. Um, but just that, that, that moment really sums up that experience for me of working with Dawson of just this real sheer optimism and hope and just robust resilience in nature, you know, just mm -hmm. this belief that actually you wait long enough and you watch it slow enough and often enough, then things will grow. And you intend for it. It sounds like he had a very strong intention for that oleander as well. Like he was really intending that it was going to flower. Probably he's got the only flowering oleander in Scotland, I'd say. <laughs> they definitely love a hot climate, don't they, rather? Than they do, they do. And that sounds like it was just an incredible experience in very meditative. I mean, he, you know, if you think about the, the Buddhist way, the, 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 the notion of just awareness and sitting and just being with nature, that's certainly, wow, what, what, what an inspiration for you and your art practice. And so do you, how has it, do you spend more time observing now before you start drawing or how's that, how's that affected you? Uh, I do. I think, I, I think I value that more. I think I value that, that skill in art much more um, than I ever did. I think meeting him really was like, okay, this is, this is something special that we share actually. And I mean, I know a lot of artists do observe, but also, also not as much as I, I, I thought, you know, I think it is a really, it's an important skill to actually focus your attention and to be really, really uh, as a practice, as a daily practice to be an observer yep. is, um, is quite special. Yeah, it really is. He sounds like he was a grandmaster of observation in art. So uh, you had a very good totally. appreciation there. And you mentioned, um, you mentioned your love of the landscape. Something else happened around this time, I think, as well about you and landscapes. Is, is there something you'd like to share with us in that space? Uh, yeah, I, th I think you're talking about the Landscape Artist of the Year. Uh -huh. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was after Dawson, actually. Yeah, I, I kind of 
after that intense period of being really focused and very slow and meditative, I was a bit like a rubber band, you know, and I unfortunately I, I left those guys in the best way I possibly could, but I needed to go and just spring out a bit more um, and to be in the landscape and to just, yeah, use my legs a bit <laughs> and just to run around. Um, and so I was starting to just put feelers out into the world and apply for this, that and the other. And I saw the Landscape Artist of the Year competition come up. It was a sky arts thing. And I just thought, well, why not give it a go? So, I, yeah, I applied for that and um, it was an incredible experience. Because that wasn't, can you share a little bit about that um, with us? I, I think you remember a couple of stories you told me, but I think it's quite intense, isn't it? You've got to go and paint in a certain period of time and you're being observed. Yeah, so that like? yeah, no, it was a very, uh, it was, it was weird. <laughs> so we had to go, um, the, the, uh, part of the competition that I was in was in, uh, Rosilly Bay in, in Wales. So it was a great opportunity just to, to drive to Wales and yeah, as you said, have to be there on a specific day. And we were given one day to make a painting, um, and each of us at our little stations facing the view um and yeah it was like being in a fishbowl really you had cameras on you at all stages and people coming to ask you questions and interview you on what you were thinking about and what media you're using etc and yeah it was it was it was interesting mm. it was good how fun did, how did that feel to be sort of under observation because I mean because as we've said earlier you know, creating art can be quite a solitary experience. You're, and particularly in landscape, you're out there just enjoying nature and, you know, allowing the inspiration to come to you. How did it feel to be in that sort of fishbowl environment? It was fun to do as the experience, but awful, <laughs> if I'm really honest. It's like, how can you concentrate when you've got people breathing down your neck a little bit? That's how it felt. Yeah. Um, and I guess in a sense too, when you're, say, for example, we've spoken about arts community before and, and teaching that's a bit similar in the sense that if you're you're giving a demonstration or you're showing something and or you're sharing your work that's one thing um one form of being observed but yeah this felt very different and it, I think because too on a television show you've got time pressures and mm. you've also got the way that things need to be produced um so it just felt a little bit like you were being maybe I guess you're part of a story that's already been scripted in a sense yep. so which which didn't feel entirely like my way but at the same time it was a really it was a fun thing to do and great to meet other artists and yeah Absolutely. an experiment well it is another experiment and as you said it's it's experiencing art from another perspective and yes it's it's interesting so what happened after that is was that when you started moving into your the, what you're doing now or is there some other things in between? Yeah, no, I guess um, that is the point, you know, as I said, when I, I really needed to spring out a little bit and to figure out what it was um, that I needed to do next and, and finding this passion for, for nature and the landscape. And I, as I said, I was applying for this, that and everything and I discovered this amazing residency, which was with the Museum of Loss and Renewal. And the Museum of Loss and Renewal is based in Colomacchia in Italy. And, you know, Dawson had really instilled this passion of Italy with me. You know, we'd constantly talk about his love for love for Italy and my love for France. And, and yeah, the Museum of Loss and Renewal really just 
hit a chord within me. And, you know, at that point I was still, um, I think still grieving for Joe, as we've mentioned before, this had gone on for quite a long time, just this sense of, you know, um, just being really aware of the loss of, of my dear friend and how that kind of hole was still being carved out in my life. And I needed to find a way to release that. Um, and so, yeah, I did. I went and did a, a two-week residency in Italy where I was essentially alone uh, for most of that time in the middle of, I don't want to say nowhere, but a very, very remote Italian town, very small, beautiful town um, where I had the option to be alone. You know, there was a town that I could go into, but otherwise I could just really roam the mountains myself for two weeks and um yeah, being held by this extraordinary residency team. Um, and, yeah, I went and did that. And just I think the slowness of not talking to anyone for two weeks and just communing with nature and being able to roam like that was um, was remarkable. It was actually remarkable. And, yeah. And what was the purpose of that residency? So the Museum of Los Renewals, or is that a, is with regard to grief and death and the passing of, of people? Was And what was the purpose of the residency? Was it for you to sort of use your art to explore that as a theme? Really, the, the framework of the Museum of Loss and Renewal is really about, it is, it's completely open, but once again, it's actually quite a strong foundation and... I think, you know, just the the fact that these things are able to be brought up, mm. themes of life and death mm. and and growth and loss and um, being within this extraordinary landscape, which is actually so rich, um, the, the purpose of it really was to use the time however I wished wow. to, to build my practice. So there wasn't any um, guidelines around what I had to produce. There wasn't any any kind of formal format in terms of that residency, but it was really about time to sift through my own artistic practice. Wow. Um, yeah. What a, what a gift. And, and it's, I just find it fascinating that there is a museum dedicated to loss renewal because grief is not something that we do talk about a lot um, in our community until it happens to us. Um, and you know, as you would know, I recently lost my dad and I've, done, I've had a, done a podcast episode about that, but it's, it's not something that people talk about. It's sort of like once we've had the period of the person's past, there's the official mourning period. We put some, you know, put some rabbit ears around that or quote marks around that. And then life's meant to go on. But as you said, your experience of, of losing your dear friend, Joe, there was a grief there that was still there that needed to be looked at and worked through. So what a gift that um, that you were able to go on that residency. I just think it's it's just in, incredibly powerful. It's just what, what a great gift. It was awesome. It was totally awesome. And that balance of needing to grieve actively, but also needing to be within the landscape, I think was a, a super powerful combo. Um, and at that point, it was really having that close attention to nature, building from this experience with Dawson, and realizing that actually what I'm so passionate about is, is looking at things extremely closely. And the body for me is everything, Jen, it always has been, even with architecture. It's like, why do we have buildings? We have buildings because we have people. And actually the people element of things is really what 
what inspires me and how do you how do you know more about your body and those kind of large questions of getting inside and trying to figure out how things work and and trying to see things that we don't normally see um, and see differently, mm. uh, I guess, really has kind of pushed me in the direction of, of well, actually, if you're wanting to get inside the body, then it's it's actually it's science. Mm. Science enables you to see in a way that we don't generally see. It really does. It's such an interesting journey that you've been on, and it's almost from the outside to the inside, you know, the nature then going inside with that residency and now, as you say, that's this whole starting to look at, at things through the lens of science as well as art. So exactly how are you doing that? What, what happened next? So what happened next is I got home from Italy and basically was just obsessed with just this landscape, right, because I'd been in it for two weeks drawing like an actual demon. I have so many drawings from this one town and this, you know, the mountains surrounding it. But I just, I, I just was like, what's next? I need to somehow use this experience because as we've mentioned beforehand, you know, when you have such a powerful gift like that, it's like, you know, okay, you don't just sit on it. You know, how do I figure out how to use that and utilize that in this next phase? And, and at the time, you know, this desire to scratch closer and to get inside something, I didn't know what it was, but um I, on this residency, I had found, um, I'd found these most beautiful, what I thought were cabbages. They were red and they, they looked like cabbages, right? So I thought they were, I thought they were the most beautiful cabbages on the planet and they looked like brains. So I went to the local shop and I bought all of them. <laughs> And they thought I was very unusual and said, <laughs> you know, now this woman, she's bless her heart. She said, are you local? <laughs> and I was like, clearly I'm not local. No, but I am here for the residency down the road. And she was like, I see. It was like, now I know why you're buying all of these cabbages. So um, that's what I used as my material on this art residency were these cabbages that looked like brains. They turned out to be radicchios. So they, <laughs> they weren't cabbages at all. And anyway, I I just, you know, I just kept dreaming of these cabbages, right? And I thought, well, okay, I'm wanting to get inside the body, something to do with brains, cabbages. So I sent an email to the, um, there was a, a centre for a group that were working with neuroscience and art in Edinburgh. So it was already established. I thought brains, art, brilliant. That, that's, that's where I'll start. So I knocked on their door, sent an email and just said, look, I'm really interested in the brain. I'm quite curious about, you know, somehow exploring that with art. And um, I wondered whether you would be open to a micro residency, some, some form of me interacting with what you do. And the woman, she, bless her, she was very open and said, okay, neuroscience, excellent, art, wonderful. It's quite a large field. Do you have any idea where you might want to go within that? And I was like, well, I'm pretty open, but... In, if it gives you any indication of, you know, what I'm, I've been doing, I've been working with Dawson Murray, who, you know, he's he's got MS. I'm really interested in maybe going down that direction. Or, you know, I've also been working at the Museum of Loss and Renewal for the past little bit. She was like, hmm, Loss and Renewal sounds a bit like stem cells. How's that? And I was like, great, sounds excellent. So she put me in touch with the um, the Centre for Regenerative Medicine, which look at at yeah, exactly that, stem cells, regenerative medicine. And Robin at the Centre for Regenerative Medicine 
also bless him, was very open to a conversation with me. So we met at the centre and he took me for a wander around and spoke about all of what they do. And, yeah, from there we just we just kind of went and he paired me up with a scientist, Dr. Elaine Emerson, who is also very enthusiastic and a wonderful woman and said, look, I think you, you two should meet because maybe you get along quite well and we can figure it out from there. Um, so, yeah, I started working in Elaine's lab from there and, I mean, quite extraordinary. But once again, it's just this, this process of being very open and allowing possibility to happen. You know, none of us knew what was going to happen here, but radicchios in Italy to regenerative medicine in Edinburgh seems like a very logical path to me and some <laughs> other people seem to agree. So it's fantastic. Oh yeah. my gosh, Em, and wow, and you've so you've completely you've created your own path here. I mean, what you're, there's so much to your story in terms of being open to the possibilities, allowing your inspiration to guide you. I mean, you're ridiculous in Italy to Edinburgh and brain and neuroscience. I mean, what a fantastic jump! But this is you. You truly do seem to just allow the inspiration to come, and then. You've got the, you know, you've got the, you back yourself, you've got the confidence in yourself to go and make those phone calls and to to write those emails. Did, does it just feel natural to you or do you have any, you know, nervousness around that or do you just think, no, this is, I, I'm clear, this, I'd just like to, to try, see what this, what this, where this might lead to? I think it's a good balance of both. I have a lot of, um, uh, I guess, belief, like the Oleander, watching it and thinking, okay, something can happen here. But also, I mean, Elaine and I have known each other for a couple of years now, and we've looked at her research into uh, xerostomia and dry mouth around head and neck cancer. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've looked back and kind of gone, well, you know, I've said to her, <laughs> there was a moment before meeting her where I was looking at her bio online at the Centre for Regenerative Medicine and, and just almost feeling like I needed to cry because I was like, how am I going to connect with this woman? She's just so clever and I have no idea what, what she's talking about here what am i doing you know so it's a balance of of once again that humility of going okay look we speak different languages and how am i supposed to become a scientist in a day and that's not even my goal mm. it's just being really aware that actually i'm i'm an artist you're a scientist maybe we could meet somewhere in a middle ground that allows us to have a conversation and mm. um yeah, I guess just being really present to the hard stuff in that as well. It's like this is not an easy thing to do, but that's okay. That's why it makes it really exciting because you have to try a different route in order to connect. Um, Absolutely, and you really are you really are at the at the cutting edge, if you like. What you're both creating together is actually quite a. You're at the cutting edge of, you know, the edge of the envelope, really, aren't you? And, and you're 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 pushing the edge in terms of artistic practice, but also her as a scientist to have an artist in her lab I mean what does that look like just for those of us what is it what does a day in your lives together look like how, do, how does it work well it's uh, it, it's very different at the moment because of as you know COVID is um, is is present um, and when COVID happened actually Elaine and I have put down this project just for the moment but at the time when we were working together it was really she allowed me into her lab, had given me access uh, to her team. There's a, a, an incredible young team that she she has um, working working for her. And really what, what we do is actually I'd come in when I was available and I would just observe in the lab and ask questions and 
you know, every now and again, knock on her office door and say, look, I've discovered this unusual thing. What's this? Or what does this word mean? And, and how do we, you know, how do we do this? And what we generated actually was a way to connect her lab with the outside. So with head and neck cancer, right, she's in the lab exploring dry mouth. It's a symptom, a long-term life-changing symptom of head and neck cancer for patients that have had radiotherapy treatment because in a regenerative sense, the salivary glands are something that are destroyed. They don't grow back. They're very delicate. And if they've been uh, affected by radiotherapy, um, then, uh, yeah, essentially a patient is left with dry mouth, um, which is not something that people talk about very often. Actually, head and neck cancer is quite a ghastly experience for patients. And really what I was quite curious about is how do we connect that patient experience with what she's doing in the lab at very, very, very close scale? Um, and is there something that can happen within that translation between the patient experience and what she's doing with her research? So in order to do that, we were like, okay, who do you have on the outside that's doing the other things? Like who is in the pathology lab, who is in the surgery, who is in that space of radiotherapy and what are they doing? Um, and really that's what we did. We, we reached out to those other people, just like, you know, with those strange emails going, okay, well, we may be wanting to do something in the realm of art, you know, are you interested? And, and everyone said yes, you know, and I think both of us were quite surprised when people were really wanting to get on board with this and, and maybe do something. Um, so that's how it worked. It was then, me in her lab, but also me going out to these satellite experiences of the day-to-day -day patient experience of head and neck cancer and, and looking at what that looked like and making drawings and then essentially reporting back, reporting back to each other with, with different drawings and, um, yeah, I guess connecting that experience. Wow. And there you are again, Emily, making another community, connecting people that perhaps would never have connected, you know, particularly you know, those, those cancer patients who might not really know what's going on in the lab or who's, who are the people who are actually vitally interested in helping them and you're making those connections. How, how powerful is that? Have, what sort of feedback have you had? You said the project had, did have to be set aside um, due to COVID. Have you had any specific feedback around that or how people were feeling about it before it was set aside? It, um, it has been a really extraordinary experience for, for everyone, I think, um, and the, the point at which it was set aside was the point in which we were hoping to really reach out to a lot of patients. So that's, uh, it's unfortunate we didn't really get to do that. However, there were a couple of patients that I was able to speak to after observing their surgeries. And that was extraordinary because um, just being able to report back and to show them what things look like. And there was one patient who I'd asked if I could follow her journey and you know, that journey is not just her own journey. It's, it's also the journey of the organ. So what we're looking at is, okay, you've, you've just had surgery and you've had your salivary gland removed, but where does that go? What's, what do we see next? And that salivary gland isn't just then put into the bin. It's actually got an important job of reporting to the pathologist and showing them what's going on in your body. So me being able to actually see that experience, we'd mapped that actual organ from the surgery into the pathology lab and uh, showing her those drawings of, well, this is what your organ looks like in that space. And this is what it's telling the pathologist. Uh, I mean, it was amazing 
It was amazing. totally amazing. So can I just need to clarify right now. You're in the yeah. operating theatre watching the operation. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Observing and drawing. That was, I think, yeah, life-changing, Jen. Life-changing. Unbelievable. So did you literally have to scrub up, do the whole scrub yeah. up? Yeah. Wow. That's incredible, yeah. Em. It was awesome. That it was is- really a very just such a privileged environment to be in and a hugely vulnerable space to be in, but also just really, yeah, amazing. Amazing. And so what did that patient, I mean, and then for you to not only have documented what the patient experienced, but then her salivary gland, what, what was her response? What did she say when she when you showed her these drawings? She was really, I mean, very, to watch someone observe their organ in a, in a drawing space that was her and her um, family members that were in this room um, at the follow-up clinic. And she, you know, I just said to her, I'm I really, you were the first surgery that I've ever watched. You know, it's such a privilege. Thank you so much. And she was just like, oh, I'm really happy to be your star patient. She was really just overjoyed. And I mean, not every patient is going to want to have an artist observing that experience, but um, this specific person is incredible and they were really open to the whole thing um, and wonderful in asking questions and what does this mean and what does that mean? And I guess that's given you a whole other experience of, of your care. Mm, absolutely. A huge insight into care that people wouldn't normally have. I mean, it's a, you're taking the clinical and making it incredibly personal um, and really tailored to that person's experience helping them see their experience in a different way wow that's incredible so will you continue on that work once the 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 covid situation has settled down a bit more i very much hope so yeah absolutely and you're also at this time you've been studying your master of science in medical art so this is an interesting uh thing as well could you briefly just what what what's a master of science in medical art does this what does it mean where does it take what does it mean? Good question. So it's a, a program that's happening in Dundee and really it's, I guess, a more formalized version of what I've been doing, you know, with the Center for Regenerative Medicine is in like closely focusing on the study of anatomy. So learning, learning about the body and all of the body systems and um, having that incredible resource of working with the um, dissection room in Dundee. So studying from cadavers and having the experience of being able to dissect and look at the body as it is um, and also looking at pro-sections, so um, prepared sections of the body. Um, so you're really, you're really learning from the thing itself rather than from just textbooks and um, other resources. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's a mixture of, of that science and that scientific investigation, but as well how to transform that into, into artworks. Because if you imagine how, how does a, uh, a clinician become a clinician well they have to learn they have to see the body they have to study it and those images don't just come from nowhere actually you know they come from a person who's trained to do that who's mm. studied the body and knows how to draw it and communicate it so medical art yeah it's really it's that study of of science and art at the same time and communication Wow, it's just incredible. And we said at the head of the interview, you know, you're, you know, you're really studying, you're looking at these life cycles of living things, you know, you're looking at the experience of being in a human container and this idea of going deep inside life to then find new ways of observing. What sort of things is studying the body at this level? What 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 things have you learned so far? I've learned so much. 
I've learned so much, but it's really uh, I, what I'm learning is that that passion that I have for structure and knowing and wanting to know how things work and how they connect is extraordinary. So learning about the actual material of the body, you know, what does it feel like? What, what connects to what and how do these systems work? Um, that's really what I'm learning and how to pull apart one system at a time and study that independently, but also how does it relate to other things? It's um, That's really what I'm learning. And what I'm learning too is that in a strange way, I'm looping back. You know, it, this is architecture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's It's spatial awareness, it's dynamics, it's physics, it's how do you actually put together all these systems that make you a human being and, and we function without even thinking about it. But the body is just wonderful. Yeah. Wow. And you, through your work, you're really allowing us to sort of see it in a, in a very different way. So I just, congratulations to you. And what I mean, what a, you've crafted this journey of your life as an artist. It's a, it's a very, I mean, the life of every artist is, 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 you know, personal to them, but this is a really fascinating journey in terms of, um, crafting your your artistic journey how does it feel now I mean you there's still you've got many many years to go in life but if you look back now from when you you made the decision to move from architecture into pursuing art and you've been doing it now you know in a full-time way for many many years how does it how does it how do you feel about that journey so far look I'm really grateful (laughs) you know and I look back and I just think yeah I I have had so many wonderful experiences and yeah, I think I'm just extraordinarily grateful for everyone that I've met along the way and who's been open to saying yes to crazy ideas and being able to go along with things. And, you know, least of all Ali, my partner, who's absolutely wonderfully supportive and um, yeah, it's hundred percent along for the ride. Mm. I just think, um, it's a lion's share of amazing experiences. I'm really, I'm very aware of that. Yeah, I think you've, and you've, but you've crafted them, I think, through your choices and through the courageous decision to say, okay, I'm, I've done architecture, but I'm, I want to, I need to really pursue this artistic passion. You stepped in, it's, it was a courageous thing to do. Some might have said, you know, you've got the degree, stick with that. But it sounds like it was, well, it clearly was a calling. And how you've almost, as you said, have almost looped back now, you're looking at the architecture of the body and that, that architecture degree will undoubtedly be helping you with what you're doing now. So, so exciting, Em. And, you know, you're only partway through. Um, any, any, things on the, are you, any things on the horizon, if you, anything that you're focusing on next or are you still completely immersed in, in what you're doing right now? I'm pretty immersed, but I have to say, you know, I'm also really grateful for this experience that I'm having at the moment of I'm doing an online residency with the Welcome Centre for Anti-Infectives Research. So that's been alongside my studies. Um, And, yeah, that's also been a a huge focus of of constantly engaging with scientists throughout the process of of COVID times um, and in a different way, not having the same on-the-ground lab experience that I've had with Elaine and the Emerson Lab, but having this, this other experience of how do you connect with scientists and research in this space, in, in just this conversational virtual space um, and building relationships in that way and finding, finding ways to, to build trust in sharing one's research as well. Um, 
So, yeah, that's been a huge part of my focus as well as this, this course is learning about drug discovery and learning about infectious diseases and parasites and, and how to share my artistic practice in that realm as well with scientists. And, um, yeah, extraordinary. Oh, it sounds extraordinary. And infectious diseases. So dare I ask, are you looking, are you working in the coronavirus space or is it? I believe that some of the scientists are working in that space, but it's not something that I'm, I'm looking at with them. Um, I'm really just exploring what kind of things are they, they doing in, in general. So, I mean, the, a lot of the, their work is looking at diseases such as malaria, um, visceral leishmaniasis, parasite-related uh, diseases and yeah learning about what kind of processes they go through in in their research wow and again yeah. all big diseases that need to be dealt with so um so great that you can be working with them and i'm assuming you're helping again interpret what they're doing for people to understand at a different level is that sort of the the purpose of your fellowship there your residency there? yeah yeah exactly it's it's how do you start to be able to translate that or explore it in a way that makes it a bit more open to to people because otherwise science can seem like such a um it can be a bit opaque perhaps mm. it, it can seem cool. like how do you step through that door yeah mm. um whereas actually you know that element of it being clinical is necessary but it's it's once again it's about people yep yeah you don't have science without the need to to look at the fact that it's a disease that's affecting a person a population a group of people and um, I think with infectious diseases especially it's it's you know a lot of these are classed as uh, neglected tropical diseases and they're classed as neglected because they're not diseases that people focus on they're mm. not diseases that are affecting um, a lot of the western world mm. so unfortunately they're affecting countries and populations that are less fortunate than others um, and therefore classed as neglected so uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful team that I'm working with, and they're all extremely passionate about what they do. Wow! And how and how wonderful that you can help them interpret what's going on and and raise awareness because you're right; those these these diseases you're talking about do affect a lot of people. Just don't happen to be in the West, so that's that's really wonderful. Emma, I've got a couple more questions before we close. Um, the the next question I'd like to ask is, you know, if there's someone out there listening to this podcast right now who's thinking that they'd like to pursue an artistic career or, or to, to start actually stepping into their inner artist, what what advice would you give them? What would you what would you suggest to them? I mean, you are such a um, you're such a beacon of, of courage and, and action taking in this space. What would you what would you suggest to, to someone who was thinking oh, I'd like to to pursue my art more seriously than I am right now? I wish I had a really clear answer to give you there, but I think being open to the fact that learning is a beautiful thing. In order to learn, you have to take risk. Um, but I think art is one of these areas which it's very safe risk, but it's also a vulnerable place to be. So I think really recognising that the vulnerability around art is, is okay and it's there for everybody. Um, and, yeah, not letting that stop you, but leaning into that, that potentially uncomfortable space is a really valuable, um, valuable experience. Mm. 
so and I, 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 such beautiful words and and how have you leaned in how have you leaned into that vulnerability what what does that look like for you particularly when you're just starting out I think it's really hard to own your creativity mm. that happens through a process of building resilience and um, I guess practice in that way and not recognizing that, you know, you need to get to the end or some kind of finished product or some kind of finished version of your calling yourself an artist. I think everyone is an artist. You just are it, you know, some artists will say to me, they'll, <laughs> why are you telling people that? It's just not true. But it, 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 I really believe that in the core of myself is that every single person is an artist, but it is muscular. Creativity is muscular. You know, it's not like something you go and just totally run a marathon successfully in a day. You need to go and you need to get out and you need to walk and then you need to run and then you just build up that muscle slowly. And creativity is the same. It's a muscular activity that you work on. Mm -hmm. So it's having that realisation that that's actually what you need to do is you need to just be, once again, this word humility and humbleness of going out and just, just building up that muscle slowly and not expecting too much of yourself um, in a creative space. And I think that's what I have to remind myself of daily, but also, you know, if you're talking about the beginning, this is, you know, we're starting from the beginning, but every artist has to start from the beginning every day. We have to recognise what level of muscular fitness are we at? Is our creativity in flow? Um, and it quite often isn't. You know, you have to be realistic. And um I quite often find myself feeling a little bit blocked and I have to recognize, well, I'm, I'm just not in that flow. I need to go and somehow do it, you know, and that might just be doing something small every day and you just build up that flow. Um, that would probably be my suggestion. I think it's a beautiful suggestion. And I, I think what you're sharing there, I remember remembering some words you shared with me many years ago and you're right. It is this, it is, and it is about starting somewhere. I think the Buddha said the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. And until we put, you know, take that first step, we can't, we, we, we can't progress. So, and I, I love what you've said about just getting in the flow and doing something little every day and, you know, flexing the muscle, you know, exercising the muscle as we would in, in any other pursuit. It's, it's just that, and it's that consistently backing yourself as well, isn't it? And just, just being there for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and not, yeah, not expecting that that validation comes from others, you yeah. know, and I guess, I mean, we have, we have mentors and we have teachers in that kind of way that they help us to see that from within, but that's, that's the idea is that you're, you're, you're building up that way of being your own mentor and being your own champion and allowing yourself to celebrate, um, celebrate the wins, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I love it. And then we've talked about your art. Um, where can people go to connect with you more and to see some of this incredible art that you've, that you've done? What, what's the best place for us to visit? Uh, you can visit my website. Mm -hmm. So you can find that at emilyfongstudio.com. Um, and otherwise on social media, likewise, I'm Emily Fong Studio. So you can find me Absolutely. there. Fantastic. Well, we'll definitely put links to, or to your your beautiful website and your social media into the blog that goes with this podcast so that people can can uh, look at the work that you've been doing and we'll put links to also um, um, Dawson Murray and Joe Underhill's work as well because we have a couple of great artists that we want to we want to honor so 
Um, Em, I just want to say thank you so much for your time with us today. It's just been such a, a joy to really dig deep into your artistic journey and to really see how you have created your path and you have backed yourself and you've followed your inspiration. I think that's what's so inspiring for me is that it's that continually committing to yourself and committing to your art and um, and really work, you know, living your calling, which is just so inspiring. So thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Such a pleasure. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Your Freedom Unlimited. If you like this show, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate and review Your Freedom Unlimited on your favourite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments or feedback, you can reach me directly at jenramsey.com. Thanks for listening. 